Central Church podcast. To learn more about Central Church, including our gathering times, visit us online at centralsanford.net. Today's talk comes from Pastor Alan Brumbach. God is good. And all the time. Take your copy of God's Word and turn to Mark chapter 10. Those of you watching online, so glad to see you this morning. And as you saw that video, uh, we are a uh, one church that partners with thousands of churches all across our nation uh, to send out 3,600 plus missionaries around the world. Uh, our church is partnering. Uh, we have a partnership in South Asia there in India where you just saw. Uh, we have a partnership in Bangalore. Uh, we also have partnerships in the Middle East in some very hard places, places that really not appropriate for me to share where they are. We have a partnership in Western Europe where uh, just this week I heard of three new church plants with our partners there that these North African Middle Easterners, uh, Iraqi church planting pastors, are started uh, one church in the Netherlands uh, in a town called Uden, uh, and then one in Dusseldorf in Germany, and then another one just north of uh, Brussels in Belgium. And God is just moving in the midst of COVID. And you, because of your generosity, every Sunday when you give a percent of that, over 10% goes to fund international missions literally around the world. And I just want to thank you for your generosity. And a part of our above and beyond is to go above and beyond that. And so 10% of what we take up in the month of December goes to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, which funds 100% missionaries around the world. And this week on social media, you're going to be seeing more videos as an opportunity to remind you of what God is doing with your generosity. But before we get into God's Word, let's just spend just a few moments praying for our brothers and sisters standing on the front lines preaching the gospel. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to worship you. And God, we thank you uh, that you are an awesome God. And Lord, you are generous and you are faithful. And Lord, we proclaim that today, not just because we want to feel good, but because we know it's true. But Lord, as we think of our brothers and sisters, whether they're in the International Mission Board of Missionaries or they're with Ethnos 360 or others that are preaching the gospel today on hard, in hard places and unreached places. God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would move in a mighty way. God, we pray for our ministry partners as they are sharing the gospel. God, we pray for Cody and Becca Burns who are soon to be sent out from our church to Papua New Guinea, Lord, as they're serving in the front lines there in aviation ministry. And God, we pray that you would help our church to catch a vision, not only for the nations, but our neighbors. And Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark chapter 10, verse 35. Let's stand as we get the blood flowing this morning. John, Mark chapter 10 and verse 35. It'll be on the screen as well. The Bible says, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left hand, in your glory. And Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit on my right or my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at uh, James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. 
But, but it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, let's say this together, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. You may be seated. How many of you like going on cruises? Uh, I've been on a couple, and uh, I believe that's probably what heaven may be like. Uh, you eat all you want, people wait on you day and night, you get to sleep in, uh, you get world-class customer service, and you can have fun and play, and when you come back to your room, it is cleaned up for you, and there's some sort of animal figure that has been made from the towel that, that is a new towel uh, that they have given to you on your bed, and, and it's just wonderful. I remember the first cruise I went in and, and we were to go for dinner into the, to the main dining room and they handed you a menu that had no prices on it and, and you had all these wonderful options and then you had this, uh, this big uh, option menu for desserts and I found out something spectacular. One is you can order whatever you want and second, you can order as much as you want. And so it made, I made it my mission that every time we ate dinner that I would order everything on the dessert menu except for cantaloupe. <laughs> there was nothing like being on a boat for a week being served. It was sleep, eat, play, nap, eat, play, eat, eat some more, sleep, rinse, and repeat. I've met a few people on the boat. Uh, I don't know what they're called. I'm going to call them boaties, in which they live their retirement on a boat. They, pre-COVID, went from boat to boat to boat. They, one lady said that it was a great way to spend retirement, just being served and seeing all the world. How many of you, probably many of you, would probably love to live the rest of your life on a cruise ship, but yet I want you to understand that as believers, as Christians, we are not meant to live our entire lives on a cruise ship. We've not called to live on the good ship lollipop. We have been called to action. We've been called to no longer live for ourselves, but to live for others. And as we are concluding this series, heading into a Christmas series next Sunday, we, we saw that we are called to seek first the kingdom of God. And I told you that if you want to be free from the anxieties of life, you need to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and you'll be free from all these things that worry you. Then last week, we saw that we are to first give ourselves to the Lord and then financially to the kingdom of God, and that will release us from the bondage of, that we have towards our money. And tonight, not tonight, this morning, um, we're going to be looking at serving first. And when you serve others, it will change your life. Well, we're looking here in Mark's gospel, and Mark is, the, the gospel of Mark is a breathless, nonstop action book that presents Jesus, the Savior of the world, as the suffering servant. In chapters 8, 9, and 10, Jesus has predicted his death. On three different occasions, he has told them this is what's going to happen. In chapter 10, in verse 32 through 35, we're going to have a detailed description of what Jesus was telling his disciples of what was to come, that he was going to be betrayed, he was going to be arrested, he was going to be flogged, and he was going to die, but three days later, rise from the dead. And in chapters 8, 9, and 10, as he tells of his impending crucifixion, he is teaching his disciples what it means to follow him, to follow Jesus. It is not gee whiz and hallelujahs, it is a crucified life. To follow Jesus, what we learned this morning is not to be served, but to serve others. 
because Jesus was sent to serve us, we are sent to serve others. And so here's what I want you to leave with this morning, and that is this. We serve others because Jesus first served us. We serve others because Jesus first served us. And so let's look at two things that that we see in this text. Number one, I want you to see the desire for others to serve us. We have a desire for others to serve us. In verse 35, we see on the very heels of Jesus's prediction of his horrific death, James and John, the sons of thunder, came to Jesus with a request. And here's what the request was. Teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. I mean, you think of how to start a prayer. I don't know if you should start your prayer that way. Lord, would you just give me whatever I ask for? Jesus has just poured his soul out to his disciples, and yet they do not get it. Verse 36, however, Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? I mean, Jesus knew what they were going to ask before they even asked it. Notice here the patience of Jesus. These knuckleheads had the audacity to say, Jesus, will you give me whatever I ask? And Jesus doesn't blast them into oblivion. But here they ask, Jesus, would you grant us, my brother and I, to sit one on your right hand and one on your left hand in glory? What these brothers wanted is they wanted to be seated next to Jesus on his throne in heaven, one at the right and one at the left. These Seats of the right and the left are the external positions of power and influence. They wanted Jesus to give them the best seats in heaven. Now, on the very surface, as we read this, this seemingly seems to be the most selfish, self-centered, narcissistic, glory-seeking request imaginable. I mean, who do these guys think that they are? Why is it that they think that they could ask this of Jesus, who has just told them, of all the suffering that he was about to endure. Well, the reason they asked this question is at least for three reasons. Number one is that they had a superficial understanding of what it meant to follow Jesus. They thought that to follow Jesus was to follow glory and to follow Jesus means that you will receive glory, the glory of Jesus here on earth. It was very superficial, very shallow. Secondly, is that they had an inflated opinion of their own self-importance. They thought that they were far greater than what they were. And here, James and John had the audacity to ask Jesus of this, of this uh, request. But then the third reason is that they, they had a wrong view in how God measures greatness. The Bible says in Proverbs 25, verse 27, that it's not good to eat much honey, nor is it glorious to seek one's own glory. They were right about one thing, and that one thing is that Jesus is and was, in this moment, destined for glory. These brothers knew that Jesus' stock was about to rise, and they wanted to buy low and sell high. They knew that Jesus was going to rule and reign over the entire earth in his glory, that he was going to defeat every rival and conquer every kingdom. They knew that someday Jesus was going to take his kingly seat in glory and rule the nations and the world, and they wanted in on it. And so Jesus asked them this question. He answers their request with a question. Verse number 38, he says, are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am going to be baptized with? Now, some of you, your first time in church, you're like, what is he talking about? What's the deal about the cup? What is this baptism? Drinking cups and being dunked underwater? What is this all about? Well, Jesus here is using metaphors. The the first metaphor, the cup here is is found, it's a metaphor that's found in the Old Testament, particularly in Psalm 78, verse number eight. But it's a cup that even Jesus references in the Garden of Gethsemane as he's about to be betrayed by Judas. He talks about this cup. Well, what is the cup? It's the cup of God's judgment against evil. 
He was to drink it. He was to take upon himself, absorb in himself that judgment, that wrath against sin. And the baptism here is the overwhelming immersion of suffering. Jesus says that I'm about to take upon myself the just judgment of God against evil, and I'm going to be overwhelmingly immersed in suffering that is unimaginable. As a matter of fact, Jesus will say in Luke chapter 12, verse 50, that I have a baptism that I must be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. And so the disciples hear from Jesus, are you going to drink the cup I'm going to drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm going to be baptized with? And what did these guys say to him? We are able. (laughs) What stunning ignorance. These two brothers had no idea what they were just saying. They, They thought they were strong. They thought they were committed to Jesus, but they didn't have a clue what was coming. All they wanted in this moment was to be first, but they didn't understand what that meant. And so Jesus looks at them and says, you indeed will drink the cup and you will indeed be baptized in suffering. We know that James would be the first martyr in Acts chapter 12 and that John would be exiled on the Isle of Patmos living in suffering until he died. To Jesus, the path road to glory is always the road of suffering. See, before the crown, there is a cup. And before the blessings flow down, there is a baptism that drowns. And yet Jesus says in verse number 40, yes, you will indeed drink the cup and you will indeed be baptized, but this this request of sitting at my right or my left, it's not mine to give. It's like going to the service counter at the airline. You remember when you used to do that, when you could go to the gate there and you stood there and, and you knew you had a seat, you have a middle seat in the back and you thought that you could maybe go up and sweet talk the, the person there at the gate and say, listen, If you have any leftover first-class seats, I will gladly take one and suffer for that seat. And they look at you and they say, well, oh, that would be so great, wouldn't it, that that I could give you that seat, but, but it's not mine to give. It's not my decision. Well, here, Jesus is saying, you have no idea what you're asking for, and it's not up to me to grant this to you. Verse 41, the rest of the group finds out what James and John have done. And what do you think their response is? Are they happy? No, they're furious. The Bible says that they're indignant. Why are they so mad? And I think the reason why they're mad is because they didn't have enough sense to ask Jesus first. <laughs> See, none of the disciples, as you read the, the Gospels, none of these disciples fully grasped what Jesus was about to go through in his crucifixion. They, they constantly debated within themselves and among themselves who is the greatest. I mean, how many of you with your friends talk about that? I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. Listen, these guys wanted all of them to be the greatest. They wanted to be the king of the mountain. They wanted to be first. Now, if we're honest, we want to be first. You say, Pastor, not me. I I don't think that way about myself. I don't want to be first. Matter of fact, some of you say, "I, I just don't want anyone to think about me at all. Well, I don't think that's true. Most people dream of glory. Most people dream of fame and position and power. Even those who assume the position of being unassuming want it. And the reason why is because we, in being first, means that we are served. Because there's an innate desire 
in all of us to be served. There's an innate desire within us to have dominance and to have control. We may look upon the form of being someone that's unassuming, but yet in that we want to manipulate people and things and situations so that we can be acknowledged. We want to sit in first class. We, we want to be a celebrity. We want to have people dote over us. We want people to fulfill our Christmas list. We want to have people to do what we say, when we say it, how we want it done. We want others to, whatever they do for us, to always say, it is my pleasure to do it. Well, Jesus says that that's not the way it should be. He says in verse 42, he says, those who are considered rulers... That those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles, they, they lord that over you, and their great ones exercise exousia, authority over them. They, he says that the people of, of the world, they lead not out of a posture of service, they, they lead out of a position of power that they think that their titles are what makes them important, what gives them the ability to be served and to be uh, understood. So many people in our day think their title or their position is what makes them a leader, what makes them great. The great late Margaret Thatcher, the former prime minister of the United Kingdom, said this quote. She said, being a leader is like being a lady. If you have to remind people you are, then you aren't. Now, you can use that for very many different things. But the same is true in leadership. If you have to constantly tell people how great you are, if you have to constantly tell people that you are in charge, you are neither. And so these disciples wanted Jesus to give them the title of being first. They wanted others to serve them, to look to them, to dote upon them. And yet, that's not what we're called to do. And so we see the second point, and that is the delight for serving others. Jesus says in verse 43, it shall not be so among you. You, James and John and the rest of you, you want people to dote on you. You want to be considered to be great, but that's not the way it should be among my followers. Remember, Jesus here is teaching them what it means to be a follower of him. And he says that if you were to be great, if you want to assume the position of megas, the, the position of great, then, then you should be the servant. See, greatness in God's economy is not the same as the world's economy. In, in the world, the more important you are, the more people serve you. But in God's world, the more important you are, the more people you serve. The word here, servant of all, is diakonos. We get our word deacon from that. It's a table waiter, a household servant. Being a servant, however, goes against the grain of our sinful, selfish flesh, but yet in God's economy, the way up is down and the way down is up. And so if we seek only to serve ourselves, we will be miserable. But if we seek to serve others, we will be successful in the eyes of God. Spurgeon, speaking to a group of pastors in England, said this. He says, my brethren, what is our relation to this church? What is our position in it? We are servants. May we always know our place and keep it. The highest place in the church will always come to the man or woman who willingly chooses the lowest, while he that aspires to be great among his brethren will sink to be the least of all. It was a few years ago, Miss Emma Thompson, who's now gone to be with the Lord, 
every Christmas or every pastor appreciation, she would always get me a box of chocolates. And on this box of chocolates, she would just leave this note. And here's what it would say. Stay low. Stay low. That should be our posture. But here's the truth. If you want to be miserable, only serve yourself and only seek others to serve you. There's a New York Times Magazine article that was written a few years ago called Happiness 101. And here's what the article said. They said that researchers have found that if you focus on doing and getting things that give you pleasure, it does not lead to happiness, but produces what one researcher called the hedonic treadmill. That is, you become addicted to pleasure, you become addicted to these things, and to keep that pleasure going in your life, you have to constantly feed it. And so you have to constantly do more things that make you happy, constantly do more things that give you pleasure. And it never is enough. It's like a never-ending treadmill. You're never satisfied. You're never happy. I mean, you think about this in your own life. Let's just take a time out from this. How many of us, you, you, you think, if I could just have this, if I could just experience this, if I could just do that, then I'll be happy. And once you experience it or once you have it or once you do it, you realize I'm not as happy as I thought I would be. And so you want something else and something more. And so this research says, the science says, remember we're told to not listen to the Bible, but listen to science. Well, the science says that if you live only for yourself, you won't be happy. So the science continues and researchers have found that the best way to increase your happiness, the best way to increase your happiness is actually to do acts of selfless kindness, to pour yourself out for needy people. So science has said, and supported by the Bible, that if you want to be happy, that be fulfilled, you should pour yourself in serving others. Now, as you're hearing that, I'm sure all of you are like, yeah, that makes complete sense, Pastor Allen. That, that totally, I get it. That has to be right. And I don't want to be miserable all of my life. I mean, I, so maybe some of you are like, you know people that are miserable. I mean, maybe you're married to someone who's miserable. And you're like, I don't want to be miserable. I want to be happy. I want to have joy. I want to be fulfilled. So I'm going to live my life to serve others. And that's great. That altruistic thinking is not as spiritual as you think, however. Unfortunately, the primary motivation for a lot of people is selfish. It's self-seeking. I want to be happy. I want to be fulfilled. I want to have joy. And so therefore, I will serve you so that I can be fulfilled. Now, there is a sense in which there is a, a true joy that comes in serving others. But here's the problem, is that most of us, we want to be unselfish. But we want to be unselfish because it benefits us. You see the problem? If I'm only unselfish so that it benefits me, what's the problem? See, trying to live an unselfish life for selfish reasons will never work. The, the, the great Jonathan Edwards, and I'm kind of condensing this, wrote this. He says, if you don't believe the gospel of grace, if you believe that you are saved by your works, okay, so if you believe that the only way you go to heaven is being a good person and doing good things, which sadly a lot of people believe that, if that is what you believe, then you have never done anything for the love of others or for the sheer beauty of doing it. You've only done it for yourself. Think about this one. If you help the proverbial little old lady, you know all these little old ladies? 
If you help the little old lady across the street, if you, if you help her that's across the street, and you help her get through that, and if you do that so that you can look in the mirror and look at yourself, and you know that when you look in the mirror, that, that you are the kind of person that helps little old ladies get across the street. And in your mind, the kind of person that helps little old ladies get across the street, that loves others and does good for others, that person deserves and should be in heaven someday because of it. If you are only literally thinking that I'm going to help these little old ladies across the street, and because of that, I deserve to be in heaven, you are not doing it for her sake. You are not doing it for God's sake. You are ultimately doing it for your sake. See, that's why people that are in religions that are very works-based, that you have to be a good person to go to heaven, you have to do this, that's why they're some of the nicest neighbors you'll ever have. Like, you want to be a neighbor to people that are in a works-based religion, right? They make wonderful neighbors. They're going to hell, but they're wonderful neighbors. Because if you're working your way to heaven, you better be nice. So the question is, where does the true motivation come? I mean, Jesus says, listen, if I, you want to be great, be the servant of all, be the diakonos, whoever would be first, let him be the doulos, be, him, be the household servant, the slave. Well, I don't want to be a slave. I don't want to be a servant, naturally. Where does the motivation come? Well, if it's just religious, if it's just moralistic, well, then I'll be a slave so I can go to heaven. I'll serve God so that maybe one day I'll make it. I mean, I don't know, you know, there's a lot of people like that. They want to do great altruistic things and they'll do wonderful things. They'll give their body to be burned and they'll sell all that they have and give it all away so that maybe, just maybe, God will let them in heaven. But the motivation for those things are always selfish and self-seeking, right? I mean, if you only do something good for somebody so that you get something good in return, that's not service, that's reciprocity. Where do you find the motivation to actually be a servant for the joy of serving others? Well, it has to be outside of yourself. Who is it found in? You know the answer. Say it with me. Jesus. Notice that's what Jesus does. He grounds his teaching, this three verses here, he grounds his teaching in himself. He says, you want to be great, we'll be the servant. You, you want to be first, be the slave. For even. For because of, or for even. This is an emphasis here. For even the Son of Man. This is a title that Jesus Love to give himself. It's the title found in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. It's a title for God. It's a title for the Ancient of Days, the one who was and is and always will be first for a moment in history came to be the slave of all. It focuses and emphasizes the humility and the servant mentality of Jesus. For even the Son of Man, you want to be great, you want to be first, for even the Son of Man wasn't first. For even the Son of Man wasn't always in the posture first because he came not now here's a thought this is an original thought I wish it was but nothing is really original anymore like all of you that have old clothes hold on to them they'll come back around just the other day I saw a guy in a polyester suit you think I'm kidding but the idea of came not 
shows us something about Jesus. It shows us that Jesus existed before he came. He existed before he was born. The Son of Man didn't just show up and was created in Bethlehem. He did not come into being, but he came from heaven, but he came not. So he willingly, voluntarily chose to come to this world, but he did not come to be served. He could have been served. He, he lived in the throne in heaven. All of the angels in heaven serve, live at the very beckon of his call. He could have came to this earth and lived among humanity and been served by all of us. He could have been like Aladdin as he entered into the, uh, the streets of Agrabah in which the, the genie says, Prince Ali, Ali, Asi, Ali, Abadwa. And all the pomp and all the circumstance and all the greatness. But Jesus didn't come there. He was born in a cave. He lived in abject poverty. He did not come to be served, but he came to serve. He came to serve, not by just doing miracles, not by just feeding people or doing good things. He came to serve us by dying for us. He served us by dying for us. He served us by dying instead of us. Jesus had every right to expect to be honored, to be served when he came, but yet he did not exercise that privilege. But he came to serve us by giving his life as a ransom. Jesus has told them, I'm going to die in Jerusalem, and now he's going to tell them why. He came to serve us so that he can save us. He didn't come as an example. He came as a ransom. Ransom, when we think of ransom, we think of the idea of kidnapping. And if someone steals your kid and, uh, and they, uh, they've napped your kid uh, and they want a, a ransom for this and they'll tell you all this money and, and some of you might say, well, just keep them, you know. <laughs> it's cheap them, cheaper for you to keep them. But anyway, but if you want your kid back, you pay a ransom. Well, the idea of ransom here was more than just kidnapping. It was, it was, a, it was a price that was paid, a payment that was paid for someone who was sold into slavery because they got into debt or in prison because of some crime or some debt that they committed. And so a ransom could be paid to get the person that was a slave released or to get the person in prison released. And so Jesus says, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve. And I came to serve by giving my life. And I gave my life as a ransom for, instead of, in the place of, as a substitute for many. Who are the many? It's any. could be you. The question is, who is the ransom paid to? A lot of people, even in the church, they think, well, the ransom was paid to Satan. Satan had us in hawk. We were in prison to Satan. And, and the only way that God could set us free from the domain of darkness and the kingdom of Satan is he had to die on the cross to pay Satan off. But here's the problem. That's not in the Bible. The only thing that the devil got on the cross was defeat. Jesus did not come to pay our debt to the devil. He came to pay our debt to God. Because we didn't sin against the devil. The devil sinned against us. We sinned against God. And because of that, there is a payment that must be made. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Tim Keller says that the ancients understood the idea of wrath. They understood the idea of the wrath of God, the idea of justice, the idea of debt, and a necessary payment but they had no idea that God 
would come and pay it himself. See, Jesus did not die despite God's love. He didn't die for us despite God's love for us. He died because of God's love for us. God's righteousness demanded a payment for sin and God's love provided that payment. He did it for us because we can never do it for ourselves. And so think about this. On the cross, the greatest moment of glory, the greatest moment of justice and, great, and the greatest moment of love that the world has ever seen, Jesus' greatest moment was not on the throne, but on the cross. I mean, greater love is no one known than this, that a man will lay down his life for his friend. There, truly, the Roman centurion says, that, that surely that man must be the son of God. There's no greater glory. So, you know, there's some irony. The irony is that Jesus' greatest moment of greatest glory, his, his moment of greatest glory, in that moment, you know what's ironic? He had someone on his left and he had someone on his right. But it wasn't James and John. It was two criminals. And Jesus says, James and John, you want to be great? Your way of greatness is not my way of greatness. And the fact that you can say to me you are able shows that you don't understand what I'm about to do. But on this side of the cross, we can understand. And when you understand the depth of God's love, of Jesus' love for you on the cross, when you can comprehend with all the saints the height, the depth, and the breadth, and the love of God that passes, surpasses all understanding in serving you. When you understand that, you will gladly, joyfully, voluntarily, and willingly give your life to serve other people. Not out of a motivation to be right with God, but out of motivation because you are right with God. See, we don't serve God or others because we want God to serve us. But when we understand that God has served us first in Jesus, it will inspire and motivate us to serve other people. John Piper put it best when he put it this way. He said, the good news of the gospel is that the radical call to Christian discipleship is not a call to serve Jesus. Aren't you glad? but it is to be served by Jesus as we serve others and to be ransomed by him from death. Listen, to the degree that you and I understand how Jesus has, serves us, has served us and continues to serve us, to the degree that we understand that it's the degree that we will find joy in serving other people. You want motivation to serve other people. If it is self-seeking, it won't be enough. You'll get burned out. Literally, you'll get, you'll get tired of it. The motivation comes by seeing how much Jesus has served you. Because Jesus has served me, I want to serve you. See, we serve others because Jesus has first served us. So what do we do with this? What do we, what, what do we want to do with this? I got three minutes left. I'll make something up. There are three, there, there are three things here. Remember the cruise ship? A lot of people, they want to live their entire life on the Christian cruise lines. They want to be on the good ship Lollipop and the Jubilee. They want to collect seashells by the seashore and sit on their little lily pad until they croak. But we're not called to be a cruise ship. This church isn't a cruise ship. This church is a battleship. See, on a cruise ship, you're being served. On a battleship, others are you or serving others. On the cruise ship, you're being served. On a battleship, you are serving others. 
So here we want you to serve, serve others in the church. But more than we want you to be, this church to be a battleship, we want you to be, this church to be an aircraft carrier. See, aircraft carriers aren't just battle ready. Aircraft carriers are sending people to the battle. We want you to not only serve others in this church, but we want you to serve others outside of this church. We want to be not known by how many we run. Listen, in a post-COVID world, how many we run is irrelevant. What we want to be known by is how many we send. And that being sent may be across the street, but it also may be around the world. And so you're called to serve. So the question you may have is, how can I practically serve others? I'm going to give you four, four ways you can practically serve. Number one, if you want to serve others this week, pray for people. Pray for your neighbors. Pray for your family. Pray for the person you work with. Pray for the person that you encounter in life. Listen, before we talk to others about God, let us first begin by talking to God about others. Pray. Pray. It's a way you can serve people. One of the best ways you can serve me is praying for me. That and $100 bill. Just kidding. Best thing you can do is pray for me. It really is. You know why? Because when you pray for me or the church or others, you, you are talking to the sovereign Lord of the universe. As, as we're thinking of praying, I want to share with you, we have a, a young, young child, 11-month-old baby that has a huge mass on his liver. Mom is a new Christian. We need to be praying for that little baby. His name is Sebastian. Pray that God would heal that baby. Pray. Pray for people. That's the way you can serve. You can serve me. You can serve the church. You can serve others by praying. Second, by giving financially to Central. You say, here it is. I knew it was going to come. Preacher, it's always about money. Every time I come to church, it's always they want more of my money. Listen, I don't want any more of your money. I don't need your money. God provides all that I need. The church doesn't need your money. God provides all that we need. But here's the beauty. You get the opportunity to participate in that if you want. See, generosity is not something God wants from you. Generosity is something that God wants for you. And the Bible says that where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. So if you want to know where your heart is, follow the money. So you can bless. That's a way you can serve. As we collectively, cumulatively put our resources together, we can do far more. Third, is by sharing Jesus with somebody. There's a recent study that said that 61% of evangelicals, evangelicals are good news sharing. 61% of good news sharing Christians, that should be you and I, have not told one person about Jesus in the past six months. For some of you, it may be the past six years. So the good news sharing Christians are not sharing any good news. Dr. Kevin Ezell the North American Mission Board said that people are far more interested in hearing the gospel than we're interested in sharing the gospel. What a great time to share the gospel. There are 154,937 people who die every day in our world without Jesus. Two people every second. And I believe in a post-apocalyptic COVID-19 world, we have the greatest opportunities as a church to share the gospel. We have a window, I believe, of the next 12 to 18 months where we as a church can share the gospel and there's a hearing that would be had. We gotta seize the opportunity. Maybe the greatest opportunity to share the gospel in our lifetimes. Four is sign up to be on the go team. You say, what's the go team? Well, the go team is just volunteering to serve here at Central. Whether that is in our ministries, our first impressions, kids, student, adults, but also could be outreach, could be disciple making. We want our entire church to go 
And that's why you're going to hear a lot about go. We want to go Central Church. We, we, we don't want to just stay. We want to go. We want to go across the street. We want to go around the world. And we want you to go above and beyond. See, the church is not an audience to be entertained. It's an army to be empowered. And so if not now, when? If you're not going to serve God now, when are you going to serve Him? And if you're not going to serve Him, then who is going to serve Him? So, if you have a relationship with Jesus, you should want to serve. Why? Because you have been served by Jesus. And my prayer is, is that God would make me a servant. He would make us all a servant. To live a life, not for ourselves, but for the one who died and gave himself for us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your your word. And God, I know that uh, a message like this can be very quieting. God, as we think and reflect our lives of how we live for ourselves, I mean, we think of the number of lists that we've made of wanting people to buy us Christmas presents, and we think of all the things that we want to do for ourselves, and, and we're even thinking now of where we're going to eat after we leave this place. God, we're so me-centric, so want to be served. I mean, many of us will leave here and go to a restaurant, and if the server is just not perfect, we'll be upset and won't give them a good tip. God, help us not to just live our lives to be served. Help us, God, to serve others because you have served us. And Lord, help us not to be motivated to serve you so that uh, we'll feel better about ourselves or so that we think we'll go to heaven. But Lord, help us to serve you because you think better of us and you have saved us from ourselves. Father, use us today. In Jesus' name. Thank you again for listening to the Central Church Podcast. For more information on how to take your next step, visit us online at centralsanford.net.